keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Good morning, and thank you for joining host Cheryl Esposito for an intriguing hour of Leading Conversations. Each week, Cheryl brings together big thinkers to the Voice America Business Channel. Now here's your host, Cheryl Esposito. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Leading Conversations this morning. This is Cheryl Esposito. I'm so excited. This is our first broadcast, and we have a very special guest this morning, John Milton. John is a pioneering spiritual teacher, meditation master, Qigong master, leads vision quests. He is a shaman. Um, I have had the privilege of working with John for several years and am very pleased to welcome John with us today. Good morning, John. Good morning. How are you? Doing good. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And you're in Tucson this morning, yes? Yes. 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 Um, today our topic is the nature of leadership and um, for those of you who know John you know that he has committed his life to bringing uh, the spirit of nature into the world bringing the connection to the earth to everyone as they, they move around the world move into their work in the world and uh, we're going to hear some of those stories today um, John we've had quite a wonderful response people have been very intrigued with your work um, some people who have actually worked with you in the past, are excited, have sent me emails saying, oh, I haven't talked to John in about 10 years, so you leave a legacy, my dear. Mm. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, your background. Now, of course, I've worked with you for many years, and I know some stories, and I know there are many more, um, but I, I'm wanting our listeners to get a sense of kind of how you got to where you are today. You, you come from a very uh, interesting path, um, working with the earth and working with the environment, um, including way back when, I think it was in the 60s, when you were really a pioneer in the environmental movement. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I uh, got very involved with, with uh, helping to birth the environmental movement back in the really beginning in the in the mid to late 50s um, I remember when I went to to school at University of Michigan they offered a, a course in ecology and that was one of the the few places around the country where you could get fairly comprehensive training in ecology it was a very rare discipline in those days hmm. and uh, and the environmental movement hadn't really been birthed it was the focus was really on conservation and protection of natural resources uh, on the one side and and uh, to some degree it was a, a dialogue between the right use of resources or the careful use of resources and uh, their conservation and on the other side protection of really special places like the national parks for example mm-hmm. so <clears throat> I've been very concerned as a young person about the destruction of some of the extraordinary uh, sacred sites where I grew up and was very much involved even at an early age in helping to to protect some of those areas. And I was also doing vision quests from a very early age. I started doing that about seven years old with the help of my mother and grandfather. Seven years old? Yeah, seven years old. Wow. I think they partly may be because they have some Native American blood and I think there was a kind of a deep memory of 
of that very sacred process to all Native American people. Mm. But uh, they didn't actually suggest it. That was something that just came from the inside out, and I asked them if I could go out and go into the real church, I think I called it. Oh, wow. And the real church being? Nature. Nature. Oh, yes. So there were two kind of parallel streams that developed. One, uh, very deep involvement with doing vision quests first for myself and then later on taking a number of my young friends out. I started doing that in my early teens and just continued doing that uh, two or three times a year mm-hmm. pretty much from then on. Uh, but at the same time, I was very concerned that there was a need to develop a, a much more comprehensive awareness of, of nature and the earth because I could see it being destroyed all around me. And I, I grew up in both New Hampshire and New Jersey. And uh, I think that's that combination of uh, deep involvement with the Vision Quest process out in the wilderness and then living all at the same time for part of the year very close to big urban areas in New Jersey uh, the destruction of of, uh, of the earth was very clear, and I also realized that until people established a deep connection with themselves and with their connection to the earth, that we wouldn't have much chance to turn things around. And also, we needed to go beyond just looking at nature as as a resource or a basket of resources to be to be utilized for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It was a very mm-hmm. uh, species centric point of view, a very uh, selfish point of view from the standpoint of our, mm-hmm. our species. And so I got very involved in, in, the, in the work to create what became the environmental movement um, in the late 50s and, the, and throughout the 60s. Mm-hmm. And in that time, uh, you were actually connected to working with um, some of the governments around the world. What type of role did you take when you were doing that? It was quite varied. Um, <clears throat> I was, in some cases, a... Uh, advisor to the heads of state of various countries. A good example would be Bhutan. I was invited into uh, Bhutan by the royal family of Bhutan back in 1970 to take a look at the projects that the World Bank had proposed for Bhutan. And uh, the World Bank team had gone in and basically done a survey of the country and then through their, I think it was their United Nations Development Program, they proposed to build a series of rayon plants and cut down all the forests and convert them into rayon, rayon fiber. Um, I brought the royal family together for a special meeting and told them it was not a very good idea. <laughs> and Just I think that was, that was the end of the, uh, that, at least that initiative of the World Bank. Interesting. Um, I've been very involved at the same time in pulling together a seven-year project which began in the mid in the mid-60s uh, to do 200 case studies with the help of 50 scientists of the impact of development projects all over the world. In other words, going back and taking a look at what actually happened after these development projects were completed. Things like the Mekong River Development Project or the Aswan Dam Project in Egypt, things of that sort. And uh, managed to pull together about 200 case studies of the results of these various development initiatives, usually through uh, groups like AID or larger groups like the United Nations or World Bank, we looked very hard to find some positive examples of of uh, beneficial development that really helped local peoples, local economies, and uh, local ecosystems. But we 
couldn't find any at that time. We, so we had 200 case studies of basically development catastrophes. I made the, the results of these case studies uh, public in a large conference we held uh, called the Conference on Ecological Aspects of International Development in 1968. And then I worked for another four years to <coughs> put all of those case studies together into a book, big massive thing over a thousand pages long that was called um, uh, The Careless Technology, Ecology and International Development. And that basically blew the lid off a lot of the uh, the assumptions that development was always good and helpful to, to people and exposed the, the underbelly of the tremendous devastation to local cultures and local ecosystems and local economies that most of these development projects had, had fostered. Um, as a result of that, the information fed into helping create things like the um, 1972 conference on the environment that was held in Stockholm. That was one of the very early efforts to to really bring about a, a global environmental awareness, similar to what Al Gore is doing now these days. And it also helped in the creation of things like uh, UNEP, the United Nations Environmental Program, our own um, environmental impact review process that mm-hmm. we're required to do now in this country, mm-hmm. and uh, a number of initiatives that that kind of, for the first time, required uh, political entities to take responsibility for the uh, technologies and the development projects they initiated that impacted ecosystems and local cultures. So you were really in the thick of it. You were uh, spending time with global leaders. You were helping them understand that uh, their actions had impact on not just their immediate environment but on the world environment and potentially the future of the earth. And through that time, um, you had the opportunity to engage with these people. And, and I, I've, I've heard you say in the past, you know, these are not bad people. They have grand, grand visions for the world, and yet they had no sense of connection to the earth. And so I'm wondering, how did you help them understand that not only did their actions have impact, but that their very being, kind of who they are, how they saw the earth, how they saw themselves as part of the earth or not, had it made a difference. How did you get them to see that? Well, I think in a curious way, my, my early uh, childhood experiences, which continued right on up through the days when I was doing all this work with heads of state and, and various institutions in D.C. and abroad, um, those two streams kind of came together in many ways. On the side, uh, very quietly, I continued to to take people into into natural areas and into wilderness areas and expose them to this vision quest process that I had been so powerfully uh, transforming in my own life. And I noticed that uh, when people went through that, they came out of the experience with a tremendously deep connection to nature and the earth and, of course, their, their own essence. And at the it also was interesting that many of these people had never even camped before. And they had, in many cases, people coming out of large cities had very little feeling of a connection to the earth and to nature. And yet, in, in a week or, or 12 days, they came out with a tremendously powerful uh, transformation of their worldview and their view of themselves in relation to, to Mother Earth. So I, that inspired me to 
expand that work and uh, over the years bring it more and more into leadership because the impacts were so so uh, powerfully healing. Uh, today, of course, we're we're dealing with a uh, series of global environmental crises. Uh, the climate, the global warming process, uh, is really just one facet of a mm-hmm. very broad-based uh, ecosystemic series of changes that are impacting uh, globally at a rate that is is past alarming. And uh, I think by, in a way, the uh, the climate change has opened the door to a broader environmental view. In, the, in Absolutely. that sense, it's a good thing. Absolutely. We'll continue our conversation with John Milton, and we'll be right back. From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. It has been said that to live is to choose, but to choose well, you must know who you are and what you stand for, where you want to go, and why you want to get there. On Reap What You Sow, with host, performance management specialist, and executive coach, Alana Daly, achievement and success through expanding yourself and your life is available at the click of a mouse. Reap through redefining your goals. Educate your mind, your body, your conscious, and unconscious. Apply what you learn and plan, and it shall be. Success over and over again, and wealth result when you Reap regularly. Reap what you sow with Alana Daily, broadcast each Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Reap what you sow. Learn the rules of the game, then play better than anyone else. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 401s, stock, mortgage, retirement, wealth. We cover it all. Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. Well, welcome back, everybody, and this is Cheryl Esposito. I'm speaking today with John Milton, author of Sky Above, Earth Below, Spiritual Practice in Nature. And, um, John, we were talking about um, the work that you've done around the world and moved into the question of global warming. Um, and today, uh, 
you indicated that the global warming process or problem, sorry, global warming problem um, is not just something that is being looked at by all the big thinkers, that it's something that we all need to pay attention to. And if we do that, how can how can we get more in touch with the earth? You know, what do you think we need to be doing to um, to make a difference besides changing our light bulbs? Well, I think one of the one of the things that's happened uh, it's been had a pretty radical effect on the relationship between people and and the earth has been the uh, very rapid urbanization of human culture. We've gone from a species that. Uh, had very small towns and was mostly based on villages and very small rural kinds of uh, settlements. And most of the human human life lived like that. I think in the uh, at the period of the Greek and Roman uh, emergence of those great great uh, civilizations, for example, in Greece, uh, the communities, the largest cities, were still only about forty thousand people. And we, I think, today it's hard to comprehend the. Uh, the, the rapidity and the degree to which we've developed these huge uh, urban centers. And what it's done, of course, is to take us out of direct contact with uh, the very simple basics of, like, where does your food come from? Where does milk come from? It doesn't just come out of a carton. You know, where's the milk in the carton come from? Right, right. And a lot of, uh, a lot of folks have lost that direct connection to being part of the the fertility and the abundance and the uh, and the tremendous uh, cycle cycles of seasons and cycles of nature that uh, in earlier times were very natural to to our species mm-hmm. and and so of course one of the first steps we have to take is to come back into a, a deeper more direct connection with the earth mm-hmm. to begin to reconnect right which is the work that you're doing we have a caller on the line Ryan you want to go ahead and put the caller in Hello? Hello? Yes. Uh, uh, this is Catherine Ann Jones. John would remember me as Catherine Rao. Oh, welcome, Catherine. Uh, oh, sure. <laughs> um, I remember, I think it was 1972, John invited my young son, Christopher Rao, to his place in West Virginia, and we did a hike. And I remember he said, that there's one rule, there's no talking on this walk. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> and that really stuck so we could open to nature. And so that was my first glimpse of the shamanic John Milton. <laughs> but I have a question, John. I'd like if you could go into some detail about what happens on the vision quest you lead. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> let me preface that by saying that there's pretty good evidence that if you look back into the uh, source of of the spiritual impulse in, in, in all of us. If we look back historically into the origins of how that began to play out when, when the uh, species began to show signs of having a strong feeling for uh, the sacred, one of the most uh, early and profound processes that people uh, got involved with was to go out alone into nature and to make a direct connection with the sacred in whatever way they envisioned that or, or experienced that. And so that, in a sense, is the, uh, the makes the vision quest one of the very oldest of the spiritual traditions on the, human traditions on the planet. Like Zen Buddhism. Yeah, most of the uh, traditions like Zen Buddhism or Tibetan Buddhism or 
various Christian uh, lineages, Judaism, and so on, I have a much more recent uh, uh, lineage going back maybe five to 7,000 years at the very, very most. If they go back prior to many of their leaders, they still have a hard time tracing back much more than five. And uh, the shamanic lineages, some of them like the Tibetan Bunpo, can trace their lineage back 18,000 years, and some feel it goes back actually 25 to 50. But um, those lineages were very much involved with the vision quest, and the mountain retreat or mountain solo or the vision quest was at the very heart of their their sacred experience. So in a way, the, the, uh, the vision quest work of today, one of the things that astounds me is that it works just as powerfully today as I believe it did in, in early times. The earth is still here. We're still part of the earth. We still grow up out of the earth just like a tree grows up out of the earth from a seed. In the same way we, we grow up out of the mother's womb and flower out into our cultures and into our families and into our engagement with the world. And the, <clears throat> the experience that one has on the vision quest is of a very, very deep uh, dropping away of human culture and a tremendous opening of a vast expanse of uh, connection to all of life and to the deeper levels of uh, source or pure, pure beingness within. And the experience of that, you might say that, that sense of pure being uh, combines with a sense of oneness with, with all nature very quickly as soon as culture begins to fall away into the background. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons the Vision Quest is so powerful. It's a great source of inspiration, and all of these things we read about in books or we may occasionally have uh, rare experiences of through our, our religions uh, can be very directly and immediately reconnected with through the simple process of this ancient uh, shamanic process. And so that's why we're bringing it back into the world today. And what actually happens? Is it you go without food or water for a few days and you're on your own? I mean, uh, classically, it, was a, it could be fairly rigorous <clears throat> in the case of many of the Native American ways of doing Vision Quest. Uh, for example, there'd be no food, no water, no clothing, no shelter, no sleep, small circle for uh, three or four nights. The way that we've we've been doing it in modern culture is to lengthen the time a bit, so it's now a seven-day, six-night process, and then about five days of, of training to help prepare people to enter the that sacred sacred view. But it's a, a gentle process. You go out and you have a, a buddy that um, you can check in with without ever seeing them. You go to a checkpoint in the morning. Somebody comes and checks on that checkpoint in the afternoon. So you kind of check on each other in that way without seeing each other make sure everybody's okay. You bring in a whistle, so you also have the security of if you twisted your ankle or something of that sort, you can be very quickly uh, uh, alerted through the use of the whistle, and then there's a base camp nearby where, where I or another guide stays. And so they can be whisked off to, to medical care right away if, if something like a, a broken ankle uh, happens. And the, uh, there's a small tent. There's a, uh, you can eat lightly or, or fast. That's really your choice. But the thing we do insist on is that people have a, uh, keep it very, very simple. No reading matter unless you have a specific kind of practice material specifically for doing vision quest or as we call
sacred passage. And uh, so you drop media, you drop the uh, all the normal things that we spend our time with, with radio, TV, and such. You uh, basically drop all connections that distract you from that uh, direct and immediate connection through all your perceptions with nature as it arises moment by moment around you and within you. It's a very powerful process. Catherine, thank you for calling in. We yes, it. And, um, good to talk with you, John. Wonderful to hear your voice, Catherine. Bye. Bye-bye. So, John, you have taken leaders from around the world out into Vision Quest or onto Sacred Passage, and um, you have some interesting stories, I know. Um, quickly, before we go to break, is there any one in particular story that uh, you bring to mind that uh, you'd like to share with us? Well, I think uh, <clears throat> one of the one of the stories that has moved me very powerfully was the experience of a very close friend now up in uh, the Sangre Cristo Mountains in Colorado, who had watched uh, people come in looking rather weary and tired to do a, a sacred passage, and then leave uh, twelve days later just radiant as if a uh, hundred thousand watts had been lit behind their eyes. <laughs> And she came up to me at the end of the season and said, John, I've got to do this. I've, I've been watching this happen all, all summer long, and I just, I'm just amazed. So she'd come from a, uh, New York City and uh, hadn't had a lot of experience with nature up until then. And I put her out on a, uh, on a vision quest on this very sacred land we have in Colorado where we do the retreats. And she had the experience of hearing flute music after about the second or third uh, night out. Uh-huh. First she thought it might be me coming out just to help calm her a little bit by, by uh, playing some flute. But then she, the music went on all day, all night, and continued on to the next day, and she realized she was opening up to something that was beyond her, her reckoning. And basically what what happens is you you your perceptions become very refined and you begin to enter a more visionary state quite naturally. Mm. And that's basically what had happened for her. So she spent the rest of her time just dancing to the uh, incredible beauty of the music and of the of the forest and the mountains surrounding her and when she came out her husband barely recognized her. He was absolutely amazed. She went on, we'd had a, a about uh, half a year later, a huge crisis arose in the San Luis Valley where I live, uh, where there was a proposal to drain all the water out of the valley and pump it out to places like uh, the Front Range and Texas and Los Angeles. And uh, she became, of course, this would have devastated the entire region. So she uh, single-handedly basically turned that entire thing around based on the huge insights and, and uh, energy and gifts that she received from Mother Earth uh, during that so long. She became the leader that helped defeat that entire massive development process and turned it into a much more sustainable uh, proposal. That's just one example of how the work you're doing is making a difference in the world. We're going to go to break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Bottom Line in Business Talk. 
Voice America Business. Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. The economy and financial markets continue to expand in both their size and complexity, but being able to anticipate changes in the markets for housing, jobs, and financial assets remains a crucial ingredient to our financial well-being. On the economy and the markets, with economist, investment strategist, portfolio manager, and host, Doug Cliggett, utilizes his 25 years of experience with that of his highly informed guests to provide clear, reasoned explanations of current events. To navigate the markets that influence our lives every day of the week, tune into The Economy and the Market. With Doug Cleggett, broadcasting each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The economy and the markets. Clear thoughts in a complex world. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. And we're back with John Milton. John, we were just speaking about the Vision Quest process, and very clearly that process brings an inner peace to an individual as they are out there, and then when they come back into the world, oh, it sounds like your little doggy is there. Yeah, Goldie. Hi, Goldie. And how would you, how would you, um, Take that even further. You know, you have um, not only practices in the form of qigong and meditation that you teach people, but you also have principles that you um, help people understand and to work with. All that you can take all the way through life. Um, the issue of the world today and the wars that we are experiencing and the strife around the world. Tell us how you see these practices and these principles um, impacting. Can, how, how can they be used to impact uh, some of those situations in the world? Well, I think uh, before I start talking about the, the principles, which are I think, extremely important, uh, one of the things that always moved me was the breakthroughs that I observed and many of us have observed happening when leaders were able to get together and spend a little time alone together. Mm-hmm. In a natural place. Yes. Remember the famous walk of, I think it was Reagan and Gorbachev. Oh yes. In the woods, and uh, and of course.
course, many of our great uh, spiritual teachings have come from alone time in, in nature. Uh, of course, the Buddha uh, spent his time under the great Bodhi tree, and when he arose from that period of meditation, he was liberated and enlightened. And then, of course, Christ had the 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness as the precursor to going out and doing the work in the world that he did. So many of the great lineages and traditions had this this um, process of deep immersion in nature and, in a sense, uh, in nature and spirit. And the inspiration and the insight that came from that, uh, that alone time in the womb of, of the universe uh, brought through the gifts that all of us have enjoyed through these lineages ever since. Paradoxically, many of these lineages then became somewhat codified and crystallized, and uh, symbols arose, each culture creating its own symbols that people became attached to in order to interpret or to view, uh, almost like the creation of a window design. You look through the window to, to into the sky, and what you see is the form of the window. And yet the openness and the vastness and spaciousness of the sky beyond, uh, all of the windows have in common. But we get used to the form of the window, and then we begin to get attached to the window form, and then suddenly that becomes the cause for fighting wars with each other. My window form is better than your window form. And so we have different lineages basically uh, fighting each other, uh, killing even going to the into the kinds of religious wars we see now in, in many parts of the world, uh, basically caused by this deep attachment to the words, the symbols, and the cultural appurtenances of, of the great teachers and masters that made this direct connection to the sacred, probably at a level that was harmless, if they were truly liberated. And... <clears throat> And yet the followers and those that came afterwards became very, very attached to these these symbols, these forms, these cultural appurtenances. So one of the one of the powers uh, that I think comes with doing uh, vision quests is you begin to see very deeply into the fundamental essence that we all share in common. Uh, we basically all have a, a good heart deep within. If we can just let go of the forms for a little while and all of the the cultural uh, ways that we normally express our heart through and just look directly at the way the nature of the heart. It's a very pure and radiant, uh, radiant heartness that you find it at the root of, of all beings, not just humans. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, uh, if you look deep into the essence of our being, that pure beingness or primordial awareness aspect of ourself is shared by all people by all peoples, by all peoples of all cultures and all religions. And when you go deep down into the, the heart of of the sacred and the view of God or, or goddess in your religion, you find this very pure aspect of pure being. Um, in the Native American tradition, it's called uh, great spirit that flows through all things, including each one of us. So... The Vision Quest has the capacity not only to connect you to to all of life and to see all of life as really your relations, part of your family, but it also has the capacity to bring you back into seeing deeply into the essence of your own source, that which survives after death. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> now, over a period of years, because I had 
been doing the vision quest since the mid-40s, I began to also notice and began to study in different traditions, Christian, Buddhist, uh, Taoist, Native American, other shamanic traditions like the Bonpo from Tibet. And as I went deeper and deeper into these uh, traditions and lineages, I began to notice that they had certain principles in common, certain fundamental um, you know, underlying principles that they shared. And so I began to distill those, and over a period of years, uh, distilled out what now are 12 principles, which most of the liberating traditions seem to all have in common. And I put that together in this little book that you mentioned, the Sky Above, Earth Below book that I just published. But one of the reasons I wanted to get that out and into the, into the, into the broader cultural view is the, uh, the realization that if we can take these principles or see the principles, the, the, the fundamental uh, principles that all the great religions have in common and start seeing what we do have in common mm-hmm. through things like these shared principles, then the need to be attached to these symbols begins to fall away. And we can instead honor the tremendous diversity and uh, the vitality and creativity with which different cultures have elaborated on, a, you might say, a pure principle in order to make it more available to that culture. But without getting so attached to the principle that we don't see that that same principle is manifesting on the path to, to truth and many other lineages as well. And not only that, we can go beyond the process of, of uh, recognizing and to some degree honoring, but even perhaps learning from each other, mm-hmm. having one lineage or one religion learn from another religion and lineage. That's impossible until you begin to see what you have in common. Right. So these 12 principles do that. They provide a, a vehicle for that. And I, I got started on it because I, in looking around, I didn't find much out there that was doing that. And, of course, uh, those 12 principles form now the, the heart of the what we call the awareness training, uh, which prepare people to go out on their, on their vision quest right. through this sacred passage process. Right. There are countless stories around the world of um, individuals coming from different cultures having um, big, large biases about and thinking about what other people are and then sitting down together and saying, well, that culture may be a problem, but you are a good person, and so I, you're okay. And, um, you know, how can you explain that? You know, we, we walk around carrying all of this, I guess, baggage um, if you are thinking that someone's a bad person or some culture's a bad culture. However, I'm going to make an exception for you because you're sitting right in front of me and I can see you. How, how can this be that we have come to this place in the world where we really don't see other people? We just see these belief systems. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's exactly what I was describing before. We, we've lost the... Um the capacity to see directly into each other's hearts. And without the ability to see directly into each other's hearts, uh, it's very easy to fall back on just the cultural differences. And then the other becomes the enemy or the stranger and the one you're afraid of. Right. But if we turn that around, we do the vision quest, we do the sacred passage, and we do embrace these universal principles that we all seem to have in common. And we dive into the, the you might say, the essence of the, the heart that lies within each one of us. We discover that at that.
that level, we all have the same radiant uh, loving kindness mm-hmm. at a deep level mm-hmm. that, again, expresses itself differently, but uh, those become a delightful dance of, of the variation of culture. and They right. don't become a source of threat. Right. And this is one of the things I think in the Middle East today uh, is so terribly needed because, uh, I mean, Judaism... Islam and Christianity are all brothers and sisters mm. to each other. They really have the they have the uh, the biblical texts in common in many ways. The early ones. There's no reason to be fighting like like they are. If they really looked into the the common essence that they all have together, mm-hmm. and if they went even deeper beyond the culture aspect and just looked into the these core principles, uh, I'll give you an example of um, of a principle. Uh, one is a principle I just mentioned: the heart. Uh, one of our principles is called resting in the radiance of the open heart. And that principle comes about when you completely relax and surrender and let go to of all of the, uh, I say all the blockages, all the contractions, all the constrictions, uh, all of the uh, ways in which we block ourselves from being fully present with the here and now. And then that deep sense of relaxation or experience of relaxation is unified with another principle, presence. And out of the unification of deep relaxation and pure presence, the experience of uh, very powerful energy begins to be liberated in our beings that's been blocked before. And the experience of that energy is, again, the experience of the opening of the heart. Now, that's, that sequence is something that virtually every great lineage, if it's truly liberating, has in common. And uh, if we could begin to see the, the, the common process or processes that, that lie within the different religions, then we could start celebrating each other's uh, different pathways to that same source mm-hmm. and uh, learning from it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we're doing now is, um, uh, you're, as you know, Cheryl, you're, you've been part of this. We've been doing a five-year training or an advanced training, advanced awareness training, and in that training, one of the things we do is go deeply into five major uh, religious lineages to see what they have in common, but also to go deeply into those lineages as a pure lineage. And by going into into all five, we begin to see the truth of the commonality that these different lineages have. So we, in a sense, we we begin to birth within ourselves the truth of these principles, and then we're able to share the truth of those principles at a much more deep and profound level with others. I've been impressed over the years with your ability to integrate the teachings from um, many different lineages, belief systems, walks of life, um, and not um, become an isolate in um, one way of thinking. It has been a grand opening for people who have worked with you, including myself, um, to be able to now look at the world in a very different way. And uh, we'll continue our conversation with John Milton, and we'll be back in a moment. Listening to the bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. 
Leadership is not static. It evolves as you do. At Alexa Consulting, we work with CEOs, senior leaders, and leaders in transition who want to make a difference. Leaders who believe that good business is good for people, good for the world, and knows that conscious actions can have global impact. Are you ready to take your leadership to the next level? If you are, then visit our website at www.alexaconsulting.com. That's www.alexaconsulting.com. Alexa Consulting, developing leaders worldwide. Have you ever had a bad day and wish someone could come along and change it at the flip of a switch? Do you dream of living the life of wealth, great relationships, and the perfect job, but don't know where to start? Then tune into The Winner's Attitude with corporate trainers, motivators, authors, and hosts, Jeff and Val G. No difficult strategies or complicated keys. Jeff and Val present a powerful and effective technology to switch your operating system to create the most amazing life. It has been said that winners have simply formed the habit of doing amazing things. Winners know how to activate that switch, and so can you. The Winner's Attitude with Jeff and Val G. Broadcast each Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business channel the winner's attitude switch me on are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market if so then you need to tune in to profitable investing with jordan kimmel every thursday at 8 a.m pacific time jordan kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on wall street as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit pumping pro Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. From the stock market floor to your computer, you're listening to Voice America Business. We appreciate you joining our leading conversations today. If you would like to participate in today's conversation, please call us now at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Now back to your host, Cheryl. We're talking with John Milton this morning. And John, in our um, last few moments, we were speaking about how Vision Quest um, brings peace to the to the individual and how it can be extended out into the world. Um, you're working with some global leaders as we speak, and um, you have a connection with a group that has been making great inroads. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think you're probably mentioning the uh, Talberg Forum yes. in Sweden. The um, as a precursor to that, I, I should probably mention that uh, one of the things that gives me great hope in looking at uh, the crises of climate change and broader, uh, deeply-based climate transformation and even deeper uh, global ecosystem uh, disruption. Uh, but one of the things that gives me a lot of hope is seeing the, uh, the kind of creativity that has been arising out of people when they make a deep connection to themselves, to source, and to nature. Through things like the the Vision Quest process or the immersion in these twelve principles and the training that goes along with them, uh, I've been working with this group in Sweden called the Talberg Forum, which is uh, has some similarities to the well-known Davos gathering of leaders in Europe. And uh, the Talberg Forum has been gathering in uh, the little community of Talberg for a number of years now. 
they bring together heads of state from various countries around the world. There's usually five or six hundred of them, and other leaders uh, in intellectual and uh, civic and and spiritual senses. But the the thing that uh, has been impress- impressive to me is to see how they can come together in a fairly ecumenical way to discuss uh, broad issues like the last uh, Talberg Forum was how on earth are we going to live together? How on earth are we going to ever learn how to live together in peace and harmony? That's a pretty big question. And it uh, the forum itself uh, started out by looking at this largely from the standpoint of classical, political, and economic and and related kinds of concerns. What's been happening over the past several years uh, with the work of myself to some degree and, and a number of my students who have been involved with Talberg now uh, is the opening up of this process of including the wilderness solo or the vision quest or the sacred passage and the uh, 12 principles kinds of training uh, for these global leaders. And it has been absolutely stunning to see what's happened as a result. Um, for example, I've seen several corporate leaders go through the process, come out the other side with tremendous breakthroughs of insight on how to create new forms of uh, of product and build new economies based on the tremendous opportunities to create uh, an economy based on industries that are sustainable, that 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 foment a balanced and uh, harmonious ecological relationship with all of life. Uh, coming into harmony with the earth doesn't mean we fall back into into the dark ages. It's actually just the reverse. It means that we drop a lot of these old dark age practices like the use of fossil fuels and we move into a profoundly uh, exciting and also from an economic standpoint a, a, a rejuvenating period where we start to birth new technologies that are far more sustainable and ecologically sound. And, of course, that that birth means new industry, new employment, new sources of uh, production, uh, new sources of industrial support for communities around the world. And most of the folks that have gone through the the wilderness solo process that I've worked with that are in leadership positions, one of the consistent things I've seen happen is that they, when they go deeply into a deep connection with nature and with the the essence within, that touching of the essence within brings about an unpredictably, uh, an unpredictable and yet incredibly powerful uh, creative response to whatever problems that company or that, that government is facing. And uh, because they've gone so deep, they've let go of all the old answers. And the really fresh, the creative, and the new can arise as a result. And that is so powerful. And so that begs the question about education. And we have um, an email from Nancy, uh, who's an educator herself. And she says that business is always at the forefront of change, but what about putting some of those ideals into education? And how do you, John, suggest that we incorporate and teach leadership in schools and what's it going to take to change the focus when everything now is about curriculum, teaching to test, et cetera? What do you say to that, John? Uh, several years ago, I was invited by the by the uh, uh, a number of leaders in Ireland to come over and to 
basically uh, teach a gathering of the teachers of the teachers of Northern and Southern Ireland how to adapt the processes I've been developing, the 12 principles processes and training and this uh, wilderness solar process. How could that be adapted and brought into education? And basically, you know, to put it in a very concise way, I what I designed was a way in which you can bring the experience of being alone in nature, free of, uh, of the human culture element again for a little bit, just by having initially maybe a, a matter of a few minutes or a half an hour for a very young child, but with uh, obviously an eye kept on them from a distance, so there's no, no danger. And then lengthening that time, that alone time, as part of their curriculum, part of their, their educational experience, uh, as they get older, they have opportunity to go deeper and deeper and deeper into that silent and quiet time alone in nature. And then, of course, ultimately when they reach uh, 14, 15, 16, 17, they have the opportunity actually to do a, uh, a full-fledged vision quest which, by the way, was the uh, the rite of passage for all Native American uh, right. young women and men was the right. was the vision quest. This was the point at which the young person uh, they left, they went out on the vision quest as a child. They came back in and were received as an adult. As an adult, yeah, powerful, and they, very powerful. So we we don't have anything like that in our mm-hmm. in our Western cultures these days, and the elders, in a sense, have, a lot of them have failed to show up. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that the preparation for uh, for that kind of powerful transformation of of the vision quest in your mid-teens is, is the you might say the the great transformation from being a child into adulthood. The preparation for that actually can begin right in kindergarten because when you're very young, you have a natural connection to nature. Mm-hmm. And you have a natural connection to source and to your essence. Mm-hmm. And most education tends to, to knock that out of you and disconnect you from that and you become totally analytical. You know, you experiment on the frog instead of bonding with the frog. <laughs> and the other thing I did was to take my training, the 12 principles, and I put an emphasis mostly on the perception so that Instead of using the perceptions to separate yourself from all of nature, I asked the teachers to turn that around. They went out and had to practice this for several oh, weeks. Oh, that's great. And they basically learned how to connect through sight, sound, taste, smell, and touch. With it reminds things. me of uh, Gandhi saying, be the change you want to see. Exactly. So, and, um, so it sounds like we as adults have a responsibility here to not only find some solutions, but turn to the youth and help them cultivate a practice that will be sustainable in the world and help them to find some solutions, too. That's right. John, we're coming to a close. Um, This has been such a gift. Thank you so much for joining us today on Leading Conversations. I want to direct everybody to your website, sacredpassage.com. That's www.sacredpassage.com to learn more about John Milton and the Vision Quest process. You can also buy his book, Sky Above, Earth Below, through that, or, of course, go to Amazon. Um, It's been great. You can listen to this broadcast again um, tonight uh, on Voice America Network, and you can also download it as an MP3. 
Next week, we'll be speaking with Angelus Arian, cultural anthropologist and author of Fourfold Way, as we explore what business can learn from ancient cultures. Thanks again, John, for being with us. And um, remember, think big. The world could become a better place because of a conversation that matters. Thank you for spending this hour with Cheryl Esposito and Leading Conversations. You can listen live every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you have a question or comment for Cheryl, please email her at leadingconversations at alexaconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-N-G-C-O-N-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S at A-L-E-X-S-A-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G.com. See you next week. We've been seeing love